It is uh, 12.05 here on Saturday afternoon. Dr. Luigi Nally is his name. He is Dr. Lou, and the Dr. Payne Show is here. We are ready to take this next hour right to you. The number, uh, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. You have cur- uh, concerns, uh, physio concerns, anything to do with uh, your health and the human body, for that matter, is what we cover here in the show, right? How are you, yeah, pal? Good. Yourself? Good. How was the uh, the week? The week that was, we the call it. The week that was. It was uh, very good. We had actually, um, following the show last week, we had quite a few calls and quite a few uh, people that turned into patients that came to see me. Wow. Um, okay. One story actually sticks out in particular because all of them were kind of the same end result, but this one kind of really hit home for me. Um, I saw this patient who about a year and a half ago had developed something called foot drop, which is essentially where you lose the ability to bring your toes up. It's the L5 nerve root, uh, the motor component. Does your foot actually... Yeah, it just kind of, it it does exactly that. It's a foot drop. So you can't actually bring into what's called dorsiflexion. So your toes pointing up. So when you walk, you hear kind of a steppage type of gait. She woke up that way. She had no idea what was going on. She uh, obviously went to follow up with her family doctor, got the imaging she needed of her back. Uh, What they end up finding was that she had uh, some type of a disc herniation, putting pressure on that nerve root, causing that that foot drop. She has the surgery to remove the... um, the blockage, the blockage on the on the nerve and and her motor component to that comes back. However, following the surgery, I guess I'm you know I, I don't really want to go into specifics mm-hmm. on exactly what they did with her, but they did do some things that basically uh, thereafter caused other problems to, to start occurring. And she's sitting there telling me that you know her leg will just start going into massive spasms and spastic twitches, and I'm sitting there hearing her and. You know, I'm not sure that I even believe the way she's describing it until she starts showing me a video of this. Then I see the video and I'm less skeptical because it's like, wow, I'm, you know, there's, there's something clearly going on here. And then all of a sudden, as you know, we're going through our assessment, she says to me, she says, you know, it's going to start right now. I said, what's going to start? She can feel it she coming. She can feel it coming on and it starts coming on. And I'm watching this happen. Never seen anything like it. I've seen spastic twitches, but this one was the worst that I've ever seen. And I'm looking at it and doesn't make sense to me. This is crazy. And I even try to distract her and get her to snap her fingers, clap her hands, see if, you know, maybe if it's something she's cognitively trying to do, maybe I can distract her. Doesn't miss a beat. This is truly pathology going on. I ask her, have you had any imaging of your brain? Because when you see something like that, you start, you start forgetting about the peripheral nerve. You start thinking more spinal cord or into the brain. And she says, no. And I've been asking my doctor for a year and a half. And I was sent to a neurologist and the neurologist turned around to her and asked her if she had MS. And her response was, well, why are they asking me? Shouldn't it be their job to maybe figure this out? And so, you know, I spent the average time that I spend with all my patients for the assessment, because I really do think that's the key in order to have the right treatment. You have to have the right assessment is an hour, which when you think about it, that's this whole radio show. This is how long I would spend with any given person going through a full history, a full physical exam. And, you know, my basic recommendation to her once she was done was that she needs to have some type of brain imaging. And now she has me on her side to fight for it. The the problem is, is sometimes the family doctors, the people that you're seeing start to become dismissive of this type of pain. Because again, going back to pain being so subjective versus objective things like, you know, if you have cancer, you'll have cancer markers versus if you have pain, it's very subjective to the individual. And a lot of times these healthcare professionals start to be dismissive of this. And in being dismissive, they sometimes miss these things. And that was just one example of something that I was able to catch. And, you know, we're going to see what, uh, what imaging reveals for her and, and hopefully we'll get her the help that she needs. So you haven't, you haven't got a result yet. You don't know know exactly. Not right now. No. And then, you know, I suspecting, 
I'm suspecting something neurodegenerative in nature, something, and by neurodegenerative, you know, that could be something like an ALS, an MS, something going on in the brain uh, that's affecting uh, her her motor system. Now, would that, that wouldn't have caused a drop foot, though. That was a problem in the actual spine that they fixed, no? Yes, maybe no. The, really? the thing you hear is, mm. is people forget that you're allowed to have more than one problem going on in your body. A lot of people right. forget that. You know, it's not just you have this and therefore you'll be clear of every other disease. The, the world doesn't work that way. You can have something going on that may be related to something more serious or it may just be coincidental that you got something like a foot drop and also had this going on. So it, it's it's hard to say a lot of the times. And, you know, one of the other problems that this this lady's life started to fall apart following this because, um, you know, she was a very successful at her work and she's unable to work now because she's on yeah. disability. And so it's a it's a big spiraling effect. And uh, it's sad. It's sad to see what pain, how pain. Can, a lot of the times when I teach my students, I'm also a teacher and I uh, and I am teaching the next wave of chiropractors that are going to come out. I relate this type of pain and these types of stories to stage four cancer. This is stage four pain. This is when wow. it's gone so long that it's you're at the end and it starts to be a big spiraling effect in your life. It starts to get very negative. It can be very hard for these people. Uh, and it is very hard for these people. And you know what? That's why you can't ignore the, the stage one, the, the chronic little aches and pains, the repetitive strains, because you don't know when it's going to start progressing. You have to do the right things early in order to eliminate that potential of it going that far anytime either during or outside the show you need to get a hold of dr lou it's simple one 855 dr lou that's d-r-l-o-u dr lou uh your phone lines are right open we're taking your calls uh pain concerns that is the focus of the show we'll get to a lot more just bring it on guaranteed we can at least address part of it 416-870-6400 star 640 uncell Dr. Payne Show continues. Talk radio, AM 640. Yeah, the phone lines are open. You got concerns, health uh, questions, bring them on. Dr. Lou is here to answer those. We talked about the one case. Now, you had something with a, a shoulder or a neck happening as yeah, well. Yeah, right? one that's probably a lot more relatable to our average listener here, because not everyone is going to have, you know, that was a very complicated case, the last one I spoke of. But I did have another uh, lady that came in to see me. Uh, she hurt herself a year and a half ago uh, at work. Um, and in hurting herself at work, she hurt her shoulder. She fell onto her shoulder and hurt her shoulder. She had a couple tears that resulted from there. She started therapy right away. Uh, therapy wasn't really helping all mm -hmm. that much. And so she had to go the surgical route. She, uh, she had surgery, was feeling great. Um, still continuing to do her physio, but then she was reintroduced into work in being reintroduced to work. And this is one of the things that I often go over with, uh, with patients is a work hardening where you slowly reintroduce someone to what they were doing, because you can go, you can progress too quickly right. and just bring them back to square one. And it sounded like that's what happened. She was brought back to square one, but interestingly enough, her shoulder was hurting. Um, and she still thought it was the actual shoulder that was bugging her. And she had still been, only been getting the shoulder treated. I took a look at her, and what I actually found was that the problem was actually coming from her neck. It wasn't the shoulder okay. anymore because the neck, or the the shoulder had been operated on, and the ligaments were made stable, and the muscles were made stable. And it wasn't that; it was actually pain being caused from her neck that was referring into her shoulder that felt very similar to that original shoulder pain. So she still thought it was the shoulder pain happening, but really, what's happening is it was neck, it was neck pain. And so my recommendation, what I sent her back to her therapist. Was 
with and what I talked to the therapist directly about was she needs to get her neck worked on. And and in doing so, that'll help to alleviate uh, the wow. quote unquote shoulder pain that she's having, because you have to look at what's the root cause. Not all the time when you feel pain in a part of the body, is it originating in that part of the body? There are things called referral pain and radicular pain, which are types of pains that may be felt at a more distant area. The, the best example that most people can relate to is we all know that with heart attacks, you'll start to get pain the left arm in tingle. the left arm. And yeah. that's referral pain. That's uh, right. it, It's just something that happens. It's the way the, the referral pattern happens in the body. But these things happen for even things that are not as, um, you know, ag- uh, something not as, you know, aggressive as a heart attack. Can- Would you say most pain, not mo- I guess, uh, you know, not a broken bone or anything, but a lot of pain or the majority of it is referral pain? coming from somewhere else or the root cause can be from somewhere else? I wouldn't say the majority. I, I definitely think it's something that is not um, looked into enough in healthcare um, yeah. and that it's oftentimes ignored. We often will assume that the pain that we're feeling must be from that area so that if it's elbow pain, it must be the elbow that's the problem. And you're forgetting to look at, well, there's, you know, a shoulder above that elbow and then there's a neck and, and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the hip bone is related to the, right, the knee that bone. Like that, that whole thing is, is actually real. So I, I wouldn't say that the majority of it is referral pain. I think there is a lot that goes uh, misdiagnosed as a complaint of that structure and not realizing there may be a referral complaint. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell lines rope. You got a question for uh, Dr. Lou. We're here to answer them. Some health concerns. Uh, you're in pain possibly right now. Let's just show. Give us a call and see if he can tackle it. You know, as uh, earlier this week, um, Zuckerberg came out and he said uh, he and his wife are, are allocating $3 billion to, by the end of the century, eradicating all disease. Now, it sounds good, but if you did a little uh, digging, you'd see the National Institute of Health in the States puts $32 billion a year into research alone of eradicating mm-hmm. disease. So the reason I say that is it's, it's like healthcare versus management. And most, most of it's management. There's not really that many cures. I know that no. sounds depressing, but talk a little about that. No, that's, and it's absolutely true. I often have this conversation with friends, family, patients, students, uh, that we are kind of misled to believe that there's cures in healthcare. And the vast majority of what we do is just really management of an issue. It's not actually a cure. The best example is if, for example, let's take a bacterial infection, you get pneumonia, you take an antibiotic, it cures it that one time. But that doesn't mean that you can't ever get it again. Just by the very fact, the definition of a cure means that you would eradicate it forever. And that's not what happens. And With musculoskeletal injuries, the things that we're talking about here related a little bit more to pain management, it's harder to accept that there's no cure because people come in and they're like, it's not getting better, it's not getting better. And they they fail to realize that it may never be 100% again. What you have to do is management. And for a lot of other things, we tend to accept management over cure, such as in something like diabetes. Someone gets diagnosed with diabetes, uh, they're a little more open to understanding um, that, yes, this is a management issue. I have to have good lifestyle here. I have to take my medication, et cetera, et cetera. Same thing with cancer. A lot of people go into remission, but they know there is a chance it may come back. So I have to do the right things in order to prevent that. So, uh, there's not a lot of cures. You're absolutely right about that. There is, it's, it's more management of health that we have to, uh, take part in. And you're absolutely right. 3 billion versus the amount of money that's already spent. Uh, I think what we're going to realize as we move into the future is that, 
it's not really a question of how do we cure something once it's happened. We're really going to start to move towards how do we prevent these things from ever happening and having a system in place that does help should it happen anyways. But I think a lot of the things, and we're seeing this every day with the research that's coming out, cancers, all these uh, heart disease, it's not really about is is there a way to cure it once you have it, but how can we prevent these things? And a lot of these things are preventable if we do the right things. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Uh, Barbara from Mississauga, good morning. Good afternoon. Welcome to the show. You got a question for Dr. Lou. Yes. Hi. Good afternoon. Um, my question is about hip replacements. Um, I have been told I should have one. Okay. I'm still pretty mobile. I do a lot of walking, so I'm, you know, it hasn't deteriorated too much, but I do have the pain element. But it terrifies me, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, what I need to know is what actually happens. I'm one of those visual people, and to me, I'm seeing that they, you know, everything is torn off. You're cut a piece of bone off. I, I mean, the whole thing just terrifies me. So, what's the actual procedure that that happens with a hip replacement? Yeah, you're not far off. What they actually do is they will actually <laughs> cut the work. bone and, and put a steel, you know, fake hip in there to to. Uh, how old are you, Barbara? I'm in my 70s. In your 70s. Okay. So one of the things for sure, I would always say that any type of hip or knee replacement, you should delay it for as long as you can because there's also a limited amount of time that they're good for. Most surgeons, you know, if you go in there at 40 years old and you need a hip replacement, it's got to be really severe for them to say, yeah, let's do it because it's only going to last about 10 years and then you have to do it again. So they are... Well, it, it just lasts that, that short, to me, that's a short period of time. So it's only 10 years. Oh, yeah, okay. only 10 years. And that's why they they are they push it a little bit more on people of your age, right? Where they say, okay, right. well, the next time we'll worry about it is when you're 80 and we'll see. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, that's that's what happens. But I will tell you from experience that if you're, I've, I actually had uh, a hip issue from when I was a child and my hips are already arthritic and I know that I'll be getting them uh, replaced one day. And I've seen people that have very bad arthritic hips. And again, if it's something that you can manage, a lot of the times with the surgery, it's really to get the function back. Because with a lot of uh, osteoarthritis of the hip, you start to lose the proper function. Surgery should never be an answer if it's just about pain. It should be more about function. And if if it's going to help your function, then that's great because you need to move around, especially at your age. You got to be mobile. You got to keep going. and that's important. So, yeah, it, it is kind of what you're saying where they're going to cut out a piece of bone and put it in there. I yeah. think it's a discussion to be had. I think maybe a second opinion on whether it's something you need or don't need is, is might be also warranted. Again, over time, it's management over cure, right? There is that's no right. cure. Well, That's right. Unfortunately. Except for, except for more cowbell. Yeah. Uh, 416-870-6400, <laughs> star 640 on sale. Lines are open. Dr. Lou, the Dr. Payne Show continues on Talk Radio AM 640. Oh, maybe, hopefully there's nothing wrong, but... Yeah, I think it's worth uh, revisiting with your healthcare professional, whoever your doctor was uh, that did that surgery, and finding out if uh, if there's some type of imaging or something that can be done to check it out. Diane, any more questions you got for uh, Dr. Lou? One eight five 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 five. Dr. Lou, that would be the number anytime. We'll get back to your phone calls here on the radio station, Talk Radio AM six forty. Dr. Payne Show with Dr. Lou here right till 1 o'clock, 416-870-6400, star 640 on Sal Ellen and Bob Cajun, the lovely Bob Cajun. Hello. Uh, good afternoon, Al. How are you? Good afternoon. It is lovely here. I bet. I bet. You got a question for uh, for Dr. Lou? Go ahead. Yes, I do. In 2009, I had a um, mastectomy on my left breast because of cancer. They removed all my lymph nodes on that side. Okay. And I still am getting such severe pain. They've done an MRI, they've done a CAT scan, they've done ultrasound. Uh, I know the surgeon told me after my operation that he really had to dig deep 
because the cancer had spread. Mm-hmm. And um, the only thing I'm getting from my doctor, she's saying, is they had to cut so many nerves and muscles. Yeah. And it's going to take years for it to heal. Is that correct? Yeah, and I was going to say a lot of the times the nerves, the vessels, they follow the lymph nodes. All those things are there to provide function in the body. And unfortunately, uh, when you know breast cancer is that severe and, and they have to take out all the cancer, there is a lot of damage that can be done to other structures that maybe wasn't the necessary intent, but unfortunately was really kind of, there was no choice. It was kind of that... Uh, uh, you know, friendly fire that they had to take those things out as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, once you start cutting nerve endings, muscles, etc., cetera, uh, it does contribute to some type of pain pathway that develops uh, into that area. It's a very, very complicated uh, case for sure when you have that. But yeah, your surgeon and your doctor is absolutely right. It could, it could take a very, very long time for it to get better. And the reality is it may never actually get 100% better either, right? So pain just bends me over. I'm sorry? The pain just bends me over. Yeah, for sure. I don't. I don't doubt it. And again, this is where uh, you know the subjective nature of pain, right? A lot of people can't understand how something like that could be so painful, but it really is. To to Ellen, it's it's that pain pathway is there, and uh, and unfortunately, it's going to cause her a lot of pain. It's going to bend her over, like she's saying. Uh, another thing where. In this type of case, what I would recommend, if you can't get the help from the physical perspective, this is when some type of psychological perspective uh, therapy could help, like a cognitive behavior therapy for pain management, because a lot of it could also be the fact that you're so focused on it. And so you may need some type of uh, psychological treatment, some type of cognitive behavior therapy that can help you to forget about it, to not think about it. And I'm not suggesting that that's going to cure you 100%, but it may help you to a point where you can, at the very least, live with it. Well, thank you very much. No problem. Yeah, CBT is interesting, cognitive behavioral therapy and what it could do. I've, I've gone through it and I've used yeah, it. And so they, you know, for the doubters, it's like, wow, you know what? That actually works. It does work, yeah, right. for sure. I Actually, funny enough, when, when as I went through high school, uh, for myself, I actually had some uh, social phobia. You wouldn't mm-hmm. think of it now, seeing as I'm on the radio and yeah, I teach right. and right. But I did have a, a social phobia component for sure. And and a lot of this mental health stuff, again, there is such a stigma around it. It's hard for people to talk about it. But I think if you can be open about it, talk about it, you can do the right things. And a lot of the stuff behind cognitive behavior therapy is essentially... Um, fixing those preconceived beliefs that you have in your brain that may not necessarily be rooted in fact, right? Like right. like the public speaking phobia or whatever, where you think, oh, people are going to laugh at me. They're going to think I sound like an idiot, et cetera, et cetera. It helps you to realize that you put yourself in those situations so that you can see the facts and know people are not doing that. Yeah. So you start to get the factual information and that changes the way you think. And it actually does help. They do do a lot of cognitive behavior therapy for pain management as well, because you have to be able to change the way you perceive that. And a lot of the times, just the fact that you're thinking about it all the time is helping to create those neural pathways that we discussed. So for sure, you need to be able to at some point uh, kind of. Uh, forget about it or think about something different, kind of like that saying when people would say, you know, oh, your foot's hurting, let me, uh, you know, punch you in the face, and then all of a sudden your foot's not, you know, that type of distraction does help uh, to forget, and I'm not suggesting that we should, you know, start punching anybody in the face right now, but uh, I'm I'm trying to highlight the point of distraction and also not thinking about it can be very beneficial. Well, I found it, I found it was a nice alternative because you weren't uh, you weren't popping pills, you weren't taking any outside medication. It was simply through your own practice. Like, you know, yeah. you're scared of going in the subway, you know, what if I what if I get attacked? Well, then go on the subway. What's the yeah. worst can happen to you? That's right. And, and, you gotta, it, and you'll find out, hey, you know what? God damn it. 
Yeah, he's right. Yeah. I'm okay. Yeah, you're and exactly. And that's the thing with uh with the cognitive behavior therapy. Sometimes medication, if you're very anxious, you got a high level that can't be controlled. Some that's where these things, again, going back to integrative, plays a role where you can have the cognitive behavior therapy mm-hmm. along with the medication. And as you get better with the CBT, you start to wean down on the medication, nice. right? Because that should be the goal is that you can do it on your own. And that's the beauty about uh things like the psychological perspective of CBT. We'll take a, a quick call before break. Bill and Barry, good afternoon. Hey, guys. How are you? How are Hi, you, Bill? Bill? Good. Is this Bill our emailer, Bill? <laughs> yes. Hey, Bill. Yes, it oh, is. Good, yeah. Bill. How are you? Uh, not bad. So what do you not think? Bad. So, well, I gave you sort of a breakdown of uh, what's going on, and I'm just uh, wondering what uh, what steps I could take to sort of nip this in the bud or make it better than it so actually can, is right now. Can you tell me a little bit more about what happened? Give me a little bit more history. Uh, 2008, pneumothorax, they stuck a tube in my side, uh, three days in the hospital. Um, they yanked the, the tube out of my side. Um, that's when the pain started because for whatever reason, I think that tube had become in, attached inside my body. Yeah. Uh, tissue would start when, with, with, yeah. uh, the pneumothorax. I think if I remember correctly, last week you said it was spontaneous, but was there anything leading up to it? Like, would do you, or, or am I, am I wrong saying that it was spontaneous? It's just kind of what I'm recalling yeah. here. Healthy as a horse. Yeah. Really? How old were you yeah. at the time? Uh, actually, I think you said I was 42, but I'm not, I'm 52. Oh, okay. Sorry. So, um, no, nothing at all. Like so I was healthy as a horse. As a horse yeah. Woke up one morning and you had a spontaneous pneumothorax. Any yeah, any history of anything in the family? It usually happens to guys in their twenties that are tall and skinny, and I am. I'm six two and 145 pounds. So, um, you know, uh, maybe that's part of it. I don't know, but no, no history in the family whatsoever. And have you tried any nerve blocks at this point? I haven't tried a nerve block. What they did tell me is I have an aroma under my rib, which is true because if I push there, I'll end up on the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's painful. So uh, they've got me on painkillers, but I mean that's the you know that's a band aid solution. Any any type of more integrative approach like chiropractic care, acupuncture, naturopathic, anything like that. I've tried chiropractic. I've tried that. Uh, what's it called? Where they put radio waves inside you. Um, um, oh, I don't know what it is to put a patch on you and it puts sonic waves into your your affected area. Okay, uh, I forget what that's called. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't tried acupuncture. Um, the cognitive stuff, yes, I've tried that. Um, it uh, has helped a bit. Okay, but uh, and it is all the way you look at things. I mean, yeah. if you're you know you walk around with a black cloud, it's you're going to feel worse, <laughs> of obviously. Course. And even the but, fact that you said the cognitive stuff I've tried, that type of stuff is not stuff that you tried, stuff that you have to continue with. It has to kind of become part yeah. of the lifestyle, right? It's like people that fail at diets fail at diets just by the very nature that they call it a diet. People right. are much exactly. more successful when it's a lifestyle modification, and that's the way you now choose to live your life. So with that type of disposition, it can't be something that you try. It has to be something that you implement every day. And I, again, I could tell you from my own personal experience, it's still things that I may not have to implement as much as I did once upon a time for the social stuff, but I still do at times find myself implementing it uh, if for whatever reason you start to revert back because we are creatures of, of who we are and, and we sometimes will revert back. So you have to be able to, to not just try that cognitive behavior therapy, but practice yeah. it every Keep day it. And, yeah. and change on that regard for sure. Yeah. I do notice, uh, uh, when I go out or, you know, I'm out socially that, uh, 
you know, I feel great, but I can definitely feel that, uh-oh, I'm starting to hurt. So I'm wondering whether it's a subconscious thing. And that starts the hurt. Yeah, and that's yeah. what I mean. That's my point about uh, where the cognitive behavior therapy and those types of things can actually play a very big role because then you start focusing on it and now it amplifies yep. and it becomes a very, very vicious cycle. It's a drag, man, yeah, but you can treat it. Yep. And so you need to find a way to break that. And uh, again, this doesn't, a lot of people can implement cognitive behavior therapy. It doesn't just need to be, uh, you know, a psychologist. It, it, sometimes other healthcare professionals yep. will try to help with that as well. 416-870-6400, star 640 to call in. You want to call Dr. Lou outside the show? I'll just give you that number as well. one 855 doctor Lou. Dr. Payne Show continues. This is Talk Radio AM 640. It is 1245-416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell to call through and uh, get some answers, some relief possibly. Mary in Woodbridge, good afternoon. Hi, Mary. Uh, hi, Dr. Lou. Thank you hi, for Mary. taking my call. No problem. Uh, I have a question, and if you can help me, please. I will try my best. On, uh, thank you. On August 11th, I went and I had the DNC, and because they found uh, a polyp and uh, thickening in the lining of uterus. Okay. And they call them, I believe, um, uh, endometrial dysplasia, yep. something like that. Yep. And uh, Wednesday on the 21st of uh, September, I went and get the results uh, from Dr. Uh, Say, and he told me it was a cancerous. Okay. And that worries me so much because um, I had a great history of uh, cancer, and I, I was uh, having melanoma eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm okay with that now. But this one now is really concerning me. So they told me they're going to send my results to the Sunnybrook, and uh, Dr. Osborne, he will uh, call me to go and see and take it from there. Okay. And I, uh, they tell me also it's in early stage, stage two. Good. And uh, I want your opinion on this because I'm very, very worried. Yeah. So what, what exactly would you like? I mean, it sounds like... Everything that you've done is the right way to go about it. It sounds like that the team that's working with you is doing it the proper way. The fact that it's early uh, and and where it is in the body is often uh, a place that they have good uh, luck with in it terms of uh, of getting rid of it. So I think you're doing all the right things. I'm not sure. Do you have a more specific question? I, I mean, again, I'm not an oncologist, so this isn't my area of specialty. But for sure, it sounds like that everything has been uh, done right to this point. It's caught early. And I think if you get the proper treatment, which it sounds like you are, you should end up, you know, at the very least being fine. And, you know, you've gone through cancer before, which helps with the mental disposition aspect where you you know what you're about to face and you've gone through it once. And I think you'll make it through again, if, as long as everything that you're telling me is accurate in terms of it uh, being early and, and you're getting the right people to treat it. So stage two, you think it's healthy? Well, it's not as early as stage one, but it's it's no, not as late four. as stage four, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously the earlier you can catch anything, the better. But I do believe that something where it's in stage two is still early enough. And we tend to have good, um, our, our medical system is really good with those earlier types of cancers and when they're caught that early. So I, I think, yeah, I think, you know, again, is it as good as phase one or stage one? No, but uh, it's also not stage four. And I think sometimes you have to, uh, change the disposition, the way you look at things, right? Don't just say, uh, it, oh, it's stage two versus stage one, but it's stage two versus stage four. That's great. Talk about that for a minute. I mean, not just with cancer. That's obviously a big one, always, uh, you know, top of people's mind. But 
Mindset and genetics. I mean, those play a huge part, right? Because we always hear yeah. that, you know, that a woman in Chile is, you know, 117 years old. And it's like, how did you get to be that age? Yeah. yeah. And know? it's their mother and father, yeah, right? right? They yeah. had good genetics. Yeah, it's that's not the gin. No, no. Bed. That's how, you know, and, and there's something called the two-hit hypothesis in, mm-hmm. in healthcare, which is essentially that you can have a genetic predisposition to something. And as long as you don't introduce the environmental factor to trigger it, then it shouldn't show up. So the, the example to that is uh, with, say, something like a breast cancer. You can have a genetic disposition to breast cancer, but if you don't have something in the environment trigger that genetic to uh to, to show itself, then you won't necessarily have cancer. But yeah, there's all kinds of things. And, and I think a lot of it that we often forget about is genetics. If you have good genetics, that's going to help with a lot of things. And if you have bad genetics, unfortunately, that makes it an uphill battle. Like I know in my family, it's diabetes and the heart disease. I'm, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if one day uh, someone tells me I'm doing my best at the very least to try to, to prevent those types of things. And I think that's the key with knowing your family history is where can you play a more preventative role? If you know uh, cancer runs in your family. Well, what types of things can you do to prevent cancer? And if it's heart disease, what type of things can you do to prevent those things? And uh, and yeah, I think it's important to understand your family history for sure, especially if your parents, your grandparents uh, that have gone through this stuff are still alive, your brothers and sisters, talk to them, find out like what were their early symptoms, what types of things, because that will help you to understand what the early symptoms for you might be. Even with good genetics, I think there's something to be said for just living properly, clean, and healthy. I mean, we all, Absolutely. you know, that story of, you know, the 90-year-old guy who's been choking back three packs of Lucky Strikes and never got cancer. Yeah, yeah. So I'm his grandson, so I won't get sick. Ah, not, uh, not, not necessarily. necessarily, yeah. I think really the key to life, and this is my personal opinion, not based on any research, it's moderation. Right. Yeah. Like you meet a lot of people out there, too, that are robotic in terms of the way they eat perfectly all the time and exercise all the time. There's there's people that are running marathons and having heart attacks during that marathon. Right. right. We on the first day, we talked about the stress curve and that applies to everything where optimal function is somewhere in between at the moderate level, whereas too little and too much can to diminish results. So uh, I think it's all about moderation because you have to enjoy yourself, too. Right. Yeah. Like if you do like to have cheesecake every once in a while and not having cheesecake ever again what does that do to your mental disposition right right? is a question we have to ask ourselves and then what is truly health is health just the absence of physical disease or is it being happy in life too look at you I know. Damn. I know. Too much to think about, son. 416 870 6400 star 640 on sale. Back to your calls after a short break. The Dr. Payne Show. Talk Radio AM 640. 12.54, last few minutes here of the show. You'll want to get a hold of Dr. Lou outside the show hours. It's uh, 1-855-55-DR-LOU. Uh, what is your email, by the way? Uh, you can contact us at info at paincarecanada.com. Nice. Yeah, and, cool. and again, going back to people with social media, Facebook, Instagram, if mm-hmm. you just go into your Facebook and you type in on the search bar, Dr. Lou, or on Instagram, you can find me, add me, contact me that way. We Brilliant. also share a lot of... Uh, interesting things that I think uh, people would find helpful. Helpful knowledge. Got uh, Louis, or is it Louise in Welland? Hey, Louis, how are you? Hi, Dr. Lou. Hi. Uh, this is Louis. I'm Lois. But- oh, Lois. Okay. Oh, okay. Sorry, I got a mis- yeah, yeah, we got we got a spelt wrong you here. It's okay. Call me Louis because that's my dog's name. <laughs> okay. Well, it's also my name, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'll remember you, Louis. Yeah, perfect. What can I do for you? Okay, I started with diverticulosis. Okay. And now I guess I have an irritable bowel syndrome. Yep. I'm, I don't know. The doctor hasn't really checked me out lately, but um, uh, for some time now I've had a lot of problems with my bowels, and I go quite 
suddenly, you know, it'll be, uh, but I started taking a line mm-hmm. and I found that was helping me some, but maybe there's something better. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so let me get this right. They've said that you have irritable bowel syndrome. Well, he didn't say that, but uh, it has to be something. I don't know. <laughs> I got to get it checked out. Yeah, better. And so it's kind of, it's, it's kind of um, this touches on the topic we've been talking about all day. One thing that people don't realize about our GI tract is the amount of nerve innervation that we have from there that's related to uh, psychological disposition. Yep. And, and something, yep. a term like irritable bowel syndrome is actually yeah. a, a wastebasket term. Sorry, pardon the pun, right? Because right. <laughs> right. uh, it's a wastebasket term for when there's, in the absence of any true type of pathology, uh, like a colon cancer or an colitis ulcerative colitis, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera there's irritable bowel and, and irritable suggests the irritation of the psychology of the of the person so people that are, are stressed in different ways uh, will have a response in their GI tract it's also fight or flight right like if we were being chased by a tiger uh, 10,000 years ago the first thing our body would naturally do is defecate to remove that waste so that we could go right that's why that term no don't, don't you know poo yourself yeah. just to use the proper yeah. term here but yeah. that's that's what happens it's so related to the psychology uh, our bowels yeah. that you know whatever is going on on that perspective will be felt in 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 our gi track and, and how that responds so you know we we don't have a lot of time here but i'd love to discuss it with you more if you'd like to give me a call but uh yeah for sure there's probably a lot of other things going on that may be contributing to this that you probably aren't even aware of yeah i i know that uh, stress will upset me and oh. uh, yeah exactly yeah and i get up in the morning if i eat yeah, and, and go out. Then the worry is there, so then you feel like you, you know, you can't make it. And that's and that's but, snowballing it. That's yeah. precipitating it. And, and for it, right? different people, irritable bowel doesn't necessarily mean it has to be. You know that you have to go. It can also be the opposite of constipation. Yeah. Right. It's so, and and that's the whole thing. There's no true. And this goes back to the individual. What? How does it affect that individual? It's the same thing as some people who are stressed tend to lose weight, and other people tend to gain weight. Right. This is this is the nature of uh, of the individual, and in that we need to look at healthcare from an individual perspective, not just as a as a term. And then I, I, you know, IBS is such a big one, as we mentioned earlier, with CBT with cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah, that and, is and a, a lot of and the whole whole integrative approach, right? Like even with cognitive behavior therapy, I'm not suggesting the absence of any type of physical intervention. Uh, I'm saying that it needs to play a component. We need to remember that our health is made up of the physical, social, and psychological, and we need to try to target all three of those things for any problem that we have, because you can have a bad relationship that can be contributing to irritable bowel syndrome yeah. and maybe the key is fixing that bad relationship so yeah and you can deal with that you deal with a full multi we have a full team clinic, of people right? uh, ready to deal with whatever that's what i look at i look at what's the root cause for this person in that comprehensive assessment and then i make sure to point them in the right direction on how do they get the answer that they need because too many things are going mismanaged and or or are being dismissed or are just being missed and it's time that someone sits down listens uh goes through the whole process and says okay here's you know, and I like to go through what have you already done? Because right. if it's not working, then why try the same thing? Like that's it. the definition of insanity, right? So let's uh, let's try to look at the things that aren't being looked at. Fantastic for another week, my friend. We will be back next Saturday here. Dr. Payne Show, Dr. Lou, anytime is one 855 doctor Lou. Make sure you give him a call and we will return here again next Saturday at noon on the Dr. Payne Show Talk Radio, AM 640.